a 45-year-old male patient comes into your office and he was just informed that his liver transplant is ready. But the issue is that it's coming from Nebraska to New York. The patient would like to know how it's going to make it there uh, without dying in the process. What do you tell him? Hello everyone and welcome back to the RICU podcast. We are so happy to have you with us. Just as a reminder, what we do here at the RICU is we are keeping you up to date on all the latest in medical clinical research. Today's article comes from the field of hepatology and transplant surgery, so it should be interesting. It's titled Hypothermic Machine Perfusion in Liver Transplantation, a Randomized Trial, printed in the New England Journal of Medicine on April 15th. 2021. So this is just about four days as we're going to air. Uh, so that should be interesting. Daniel and Jack, how you guys doing? I'm good. good. Yeah, you guys are uh, getting ready for uh, in, uh, applications for uh, VSAS and whatnot? Definitely. Crazy yes. timing. All right, so let's get right into the article. So what are the authors attempting to accomplish here today? So there's something called a non-anastomotic biliary stricture, which is a complication of liver transplant. So we're talking about liver transplantations, and there's this complication that occurs. It used to occur back in the 90s about 60% of the time, which is outstanding. It's crazy. Uh, they got it down. Now the complication rate of this something called non-anastomotic biliary stricture is about between 4 and 10% of all liver transplants. So let's take a moment and discuss anastomotic versus non-anastomotic biliary structures. I think it's an interesting um, idea here. So uh, after a liver transplant, there could, you can get something called an anastomotic biliary stricture, which is a stricture caused at the site of the anastomosis from fibrotic healing. Uh, it's, it's more common than a non-anastomotic, um, but it's not too difficult to deal with. However, there's something called that's a non-anastomotic biliary stricture, which occurs at multiple sites. It's caused from ischemic injuries. It's something, let's say, from a thrombosis or something like that. It can also be caused from immune reactions. And that's a pretty serious complication. Sometimes endoscopic uh, repair works. Uh, most times they have to go and actually get a new liver for retransplantation. So it's a pretty serious complication. So the authors of this article are trying to... Uh, figure out ways to prevent this complication. And the strictures, they cause a backup of the bile, uh, they call biliary, cause biliary sludge, cholestasis, uh, and cholangitis. You guys remember the Charcot's triad and Reynolds Pentad for cholangitis? Yeah, what was that? I think it was, uh, the triad was fever, jaundice, and right upper quadrant pain. Very good. And Reynolds? And for the Penta, just at AMS and hypotension. Very good. Yeah, I figured that now's a good time as any to refresh uh, our memories on that. Um, and this complication of the non-anastomotic biliary stricture occurs th uh, three more times as often in a circulatory death uh, than a brain death. So you would think that they're only using these livers. So at one point they were said, oh, maybe we should only use these livers from a brain dead uh, donor, not a circulatory death donor. However, because livers are in such high demand, obviously, 
um, they use it even from circulatory deaths. So what are these authors proposing here? So to start from the beginning, um, a lot of the damage that's done to the liver in a transplant is done because of the ischemia reperfusion injury. Um, basically, the theory behind that is, is that there's a lot of free radicals floating around when the oxygen um, gets reintroduced into the liver and that causes a lot of damage. So there was this liver assist device that was made to help mitigate that damage. And basically the way that this works is, is that there are two pumps. One would be the on the arterial side of the liver, which would beat at about 60 beats per minute, and it would have um, 25 milligrams of, mer of mercury of pressure being pumped in to the liver and then on the venous side, it would basically drain it at five milligrams of mercury of pressure, and and then it would oxygenate the blood. So this was also done in a pretty cool environment, which would stop some of the damage from being done, which would usually happen in a normal liver that's being transplanted, where they would basically leave the liver out from its frozen state for it to thaw and they would leave it out for quite some time. Um, and that would, a lot of times, it would cause damage to the liver, which you wouldn't have by using this machine. Um, studies have shown that one to two hours of using this could significantly decrease the amount of mitochondrial damage that is done to the liver. Um, so I'm gonna turn this over to you, Jack, and you're going to ex explain to us exactly how this study was done. Sure, so patients were randomly assigned in a one-to-one -one ratio to receive a liver preserved with the hypothermic oxygenated machine after it was static cold preservation during transport or with just the static cold preservation alone. That was a control group. Randomization took place immediately after a donor liver had been deemed suitable and it was accepted by the transplant surgeon. So this was a multi-center randomized control clinical trial and it compared the machine with the static cold preservation alone. And the primary endpoint was a, the non-asthmatic biliary strictures at six months after transplantation. This was diagnosed with the use of coal angiography, preferably magnetic resonance coal angiography. And in combination with clinical symptoms such as jaundice, cholangitis, or an elevation of the coal static lab values. The secondary endpoints included intraoperative post-perfusion syndrome. This is defined as a decrease of more than 30% in the mean systemic arterial blood pressure within 10 minutes after reperfusion. And other variables include early allograft dysfunction and complications within six months after transplantation. So that's how the study was set up. So now to delve into the results. 78 people received a machine perfused liver and another 78 received a liver after static cold storage only. Nanostomotic biliary strictures occurred in 6% of the patients in the machine perfusion group and in 18% of those in the control group with a P of 0 0.03. So 6 versus 18. Post perfusion syndrome occurred in 12% with the machine perfused liver and in 27% of those in the control group. Early allograft dysfunction occurred in 26% of the machine livers versus 40% of the control livers. 
The cumulative number of treatments for the non-asymptomatic biliary strictures and related complications within six months, such as antibiotic therapy for related cholangitis, was lower by a factor of almost four after machine perfusion as compared with the control. The incidence of adverse events were similar in both groups. So we see from here that basically every endpoint that they were studying, there was a big drop in uh, complications between the machine perfused liver and the control group. Um, so is this a different machine than the normothermic machines that so, they always had? Yeah, so there are um, normothermic uh, perfusion machines. So this is hypothermic. So what are some of the reasons why they said that they had some advantages of it being hypothermic? Is because um, of its re relative simplicity and intrinsic safety. So if it was, it's basically if there's any uh, mistakes that were happening or technical malfunction, because it was a lower temperature, they would not um, be uh, lost because of warm ischemia and it could lead to organ loss. Another advantage of the hypothermic machine is that it is effective after the static cold storage. So they found that um, although you do get restoration of ATP, hepatic metabolism is still suppressed and the liver does not produce bile under this hypothermic state. So therefore they were stating that uh, they should really do the hypothermic machine perfusion followed by the normothermic machine perfusion. So this way you get the complementary benefits and you get the best of both worlds basically. They also went into a little bit of the cost for the uh, this whole machine and they found that uh, the cost for transplantation from a donor from a living donor compared to a, a person that is brain dead are 25 to 35 to 30 percent higher. So they were because of the higher incidence of biliary complications so therefore the cost of transport and everything is higher and so by preventing this uh, post-transplant uh, culinary biliary complications, then therefore um, it would it, the machine would basically be cost-effective. Oh wow! Do we have any idea how much a machine like this would cost? Well, I would imagine it's the big centers, uh, especially the centers that are doing a high-volume liver transplants that have this machine. Because the beauty of this is that you know, let's say the liver is coming from a community hospital or any of these smaller places, you can still put it on ice, transport it to the, to the uh, big center where they're doing the liver transplant, and just throw the liver in this machine for an hour or two. And that, that works. That's what I think the beauty uh, of this technology is, is that you're still, you're not, you don't have to have this machine on hand at every site, only at the big liver uh, transplant sites. Wow. So what would you tell your attending? Okay, so this is exciting because actually, you know, I'm doing my uh, medicine rotation now and we have two patients that we're optimizing for liver transplant. So let's say my attending comes to me and says, um, what complications are we concerned about for uh, post-liver transplant and how do you recommend uh, we minimize those complications? So you can tell your, your attending, oh, well, you know, some complications that we're worried about is this uh, ischemic reperfusion uh, injury uh, and leading to non-anastomotic biliary strictures and right away the attending uh, he or she is going to say well what's the difference between a non-anastomotic and anastomotic biliary stricture and you'll you'll uh, be more than knowledgeable to tell them the difference and you can say that it could lead to biliary cholestasis uh, cholangitis uh, and it has uh, it's very difficult 
to to correct. It sometimes often leads to retransplantation. And the way that we can prevent this complication, recent studies have shown, is by using this uh, this hypothermic um, liver uh, machine to reduce the risk. You have any pondering questions for us for today? Of course, of course. Okay, so the pondering question of today is as follows. By a myocardial infarction, always going back to the heart, we... What's the heart of the matter? Very good, Kate. Thank you. So when we're working up a, a patient, so why don't we put the temperature of the room at 4 degrees Celsius, which is the storage um, temperature that we use for organ donations it would seem that it would slow down the damage of the heart while you're in the process of fixing it so I, I think that this should be What's the 40 new degrees protocol. Celsius in, in Fahrenheit so it's five nines and uh, 40 degrees about it's a four, no I, I think so yeah it should be about about 40 that's degrees. super cold I mean why can't I don't you'll, know. you'll you'll put on a coat well 39.2. 39.2. That's extremely okay. cold to have to, to be in an hour at 39.2 degrees. I mean, it's freezing at the current, like, what is it, Listen, 66 degrees Fahrenheit that they said it as? If you pass out, they'll have more time to take care of you, too. <laughs> All right. This is the question to ponder. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the RICU. Always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to Gabe at the RICU anytime, team. Anytime, fellas. At gmail.com. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great day.